Every facet of the fashion industry, including the makeup of iconic fashion labels, is changing. In this series, we ask those on the front lines to speak candidly about the future of fashion. Each episode explores how designers, executives, and other key industry players are adjusting their roadmaps to reflect an industry in flux. In the aftermath of the pandemic, fashion is reconfiguring its way forward, and we're finding out how those in charge are adapting. I'm Hilary Milnes, and this is The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business. The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business is brought to you in association with Klarna, the leading global payments and shopping service that lets shoppers buy now and pay later. Visit Klarna.com to find out how you can increase your average order value, drive traffic, and create a smooth checkout experience by adding a buy now, pay later option to your website. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes. Tommy Hilfiger founded his namesake fashion label in 1985. Over the course of the three and a half decades since, the Tommy Hilfiger brand and its logo colors, red, white, and blue, have become one of fashion's most recognizable. Tommy helped usher in an era of New York fashion that established the look and feel of modern American design heading into the 21st century. As adaptable as the Tommy Hilfiger brand has proven, fashion has changed drastically in the past 10 years alone, and in the wake of the pandemic, we're here to discuss what comes next for the iconic brand. My guests today are Martijn Hagman, CEO of Tommy Hilfiger Global, and the designer Tommy Hilfiger himself. We're so glad to have you on the show, Tommy and Martijn. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Hilary. Thank you very much. So... Tommy, I would love for you to just walk us through your last six months. I know it's been a turbulent period for fashion. Um, how does this moment compare to other big pivotal moments and changes in the brand's history? What what has it been like for you? Well, it came as a surprise. And I think when we first read about COVID, we thought, okay, it's like the flu. It will be over with soon. And as time went on, it continued and spread. And I think it was very frightening for everyone. And then when everything shut down, it was panic mode for, for a lot of people. But we were hopeful and we were as safe as possible. But we were continually thinking about our team and our staff and the safety of all the people in the Tommy Hilfiger family, all, all the people in the PVH family as well, which is our parent company. But we really didn't expect it to last as long as it's lasted. At the same time, protests started bubbling up all over America, and there was a lot of unrest. So it's been a very stressful time for a lot of people, but it has also been a time for us to reflect on the future of the business while trying very hard to stabilize the business. Absolutely. I'm sure it's been a moment of reflection. Any outcomes of those early reflections that you'd like to call out? Where do you you know, see the most changes being made to, to the brand and the business? I think the e-commerce business was a bit of a surprise to us. It has become much stronger than we expected it to be. So even though we planned on growing it in the future, this accelerated it all. So from a digital aspect and uh, I would say a virtual aspect, we are farther ahead than we would have been under normal circumstances. So we're very happy with the e-commerce and digital part of the business. But at the same time, we have many stores and we're hoping that the momentum gets gets moving again. 
Right. And uh, Martin, you actually transitioned to the role of CEO in June. Is that right? Yeah. June 2nd. So I'm sure it's um, an interesting time to take on the role. Can you tell us a bit more about about that transition and what your first priorities were during the pandemic? And I, and that was, you know, right as protests in the U.S. were starting. Yeah. Yeah, clearly I just transitioned in a very challenging and unprecedented times. Our initial focus, as, as Tommy mentioned, were on the health and safety of our associates and stabilizing the business. Uh, but we quickly were able to pivot and start to focus on the recovery phase and, and the future ahead. Actually entering into the crisis, our, our company was already in the mindset of adapting to and embracing significant change. The crisis really has been functioning as an accelerator for us on, on a number of important business transformations and innovations that we were already working on. So. Even though it was challenging, in that sense, the pandemic actually somewhat worked in my favor, getting into the new role and driving those transformations and innovations to future-proof the organization and, and be ready for the recovery and the period thereafter. Yeah, I'm extremely proud of, of our team's displays of agility, flexibility and growth, both in response to the crisis and towards my new leadership role. Looking forward, uh, I'm very excited about the opportunity to drive and deliver on my key passions and values, mainly being around the further evolution of our digital business operations, modernizing the fashion value chain, progressing towards our ambitious sustainability targets, which we have just launched under the Make It Possible program, and of course, sustaining a healthy top and bottom line growth. That's a lot to do, I'm sure. And you mentioned a few a few key targets already. So you, when you say accelerants, Tommy mentioned, you know, e-commerce has, has really come to the forefront. Um, so I'd love to start there. Martine, do you see this as being a, a pivotal shift towards digital and e-commerce, not just for the Tommy brand, not just for PVH, but for, for luxury overall? Um, do, do you see this as being what it takes to to really swing the pendulum in that direction for luxury brands. Yeah, absolutely. I think throughout the industry and also other other industries, it's clear that that shift towards digital sales channels has been accelerating big time. And even though the the enormous growth that we saw at the peak of the pandemic is somewhat slowing down, you can clearly see that in the overall mix of distribution, digital is much larger. And also looking ahead, will continue to grow faster than the traditional distribution channels. So definitely digital sales channels, whether whether it's our own, whether it's third party, whether it's pure players, that's there to stay. So we have really, I would say, a pivotal or a seismic, I, I should say, shift in our distribution landscape. Right. So I see that the the big changes and shifts happening right now as being in a few different buckets, one being how customers shop and then the second one being what they want to buy. It's really interesting to see and project and think about what the future of, of fashion consumption will be. Um, Tommy, how do you design for customers right now? I'm sure that sweatpants would be pretty popular, but you know, when you look at the the vision and the tone of the brand going forward. What do you what do you see it changing into? How do you think about the customer you want to reach and resonate with? Well, we've always been primarily a casual brand, so this is in our wheelhouse. We are just improving on everything that we're doing and everything we've done in, in the past. But also, our design protocol is, is much different now because 
we're doing 3D design, which we put into action some time ago ahead of the, the rest of the industry. And that reduces lead time. It is a more efficient way to design all the products. So I think from a, an operational standpoint, we're in a very strong position. But at the same time, as a brand position, as a premium, casual brand in the global marketplace, we are in a, in a great place. So I really believe that as a result of COVID, everything is going to change. People are not going to be as dressed up as, as they were before. A lot of people will continue to work at home, which means more casual, more comfort, more stretch. Certainly sustainability is, is very important to us, as, as we've said. But we, we think comfort, high quality casual wear, but it still has to be cool. It still has to be unique. It still has to be fun. And it still has to fill a void that exists today. And I know uh, you are an early proponent of the in-season model, kind of going off the fashion calendar. And a lot of other brands are now scrapping their seasonal plans and rethinking, you know, when when to show collections, how much to show, how often, and what that buying schedule looks like. Do you plan to stick to the model you started out a few years ago? What about just, you know, not only what type of clothes are getting to consumers, but when they'll see them, when they'll be shopping for them? It seems like the lines have really blurred. Well, we really created See Now, Buy Now way of showing clothes when we started doing the GG Tommy fashion shows and then went worldwide with, with our shows creating the, the See Now, Buy Now. It's worked very well. And we really believe that we will continue with a Sino-Bino flavor, not looking so seriously at seasons. So that will continue, although the way we show, the way we do fashion shows will definitely change. Change from the way that they have been just as recently as last September? Yes, because we'll evolve it forward. We have been doing the Sino-Bino for now five years, so we find it's time to recreate, reinvent the way we're going to come to market to show the product. And we will announce that in the very near future. We were first with the digital showrooms, which have become very efficient. And I think more needed at a time like this than ever before. So we were ahead of its time. We have to stay a step ahead of the competition and we have to continually look into the future Embracing digital, virtual, and all of the high-tech methods of, of doing business. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to see, um, and it reminds me of the accelerants um, that you both spoke about, and and how you, you know the the pandemic is the catalyst of change for fashion in so many different ways. Martine, from the from the business side, when it comes to the in-season model, things like three D design, digital showrooms. Can you just give us a little insight? You know, what what has to happen internally with the company for all of these things to work seamlessly? It, it, it just seems that see now, buy now in this in-season model and rethinking the fashion calendar, brands have just kind of stalled uh, because of things being done the way that they always have been. There's just a, a hesitancy to change. And so when the Tommy Hilfiger brand has rethought so many facets of the business, you know, how do, how as a company do you really make that work, um, especially when it comes to outside partners and the talent that you hire? What does that engine look like? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's indeed not not an easy change, and you you have to look at that really holistically. So if you if you want to be serious about non-seasonal collections, so whether it's a quick response or or a fast track or, or whatever name you give to it, a, a lot of things have to be in place to to really be able to deliver fast to the end consumer. So a holistic approach is indeed needed. And for us, it starts really with having a very strong 3D design capability in place. Uh, we started to invest in that two years ago, and especially on 3D design, that one significantly accelerated during this pandemic, uh, simply because the design team, the product development teams, didn't have all the physical samples or, or the fabrics that they require to, to build the collection. So thankfully, we had invested heavily already in 3D design and we could accelerate that muscle and that capability that we had in place. So I think for any form of fast track and quick response, that, that digital 3D design capability is extremely important. If, if you then connect that with your vendors, so you have strategic vendors that sit on the other side and are connected on that digital workflow, then you can drive real speed. And if from there you can also connect it with, for example, your digital showroom or even with your direct-to-consumers platforms, then your speed is only uh, increasing tremendously. Uh, that's actually one of our visions, to really create that full digital value chain, connect all those separate workflows, and with that really drive speed. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because I know, you know, when so much is changing on the on the design end and there's new technologies to try and new ways of doing business, is this a moment where you realize like, okay, this is this is paid off. Um, we might have taken a, a bit of a leap to invest in this, and I'm sure it's not a light investment, but as companies are are changing the way that they work so drastically, are you looking at, at these investments in new ways of design and, and working with partners as paying off? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think really one of the advantages of the uh, pandemic is that we were able to do these things on scale and prove also to our own associates, to, to our design teams, to our product development teams, that this really can work and that this really increases flexibility, is enhancing creativity, where initially there might have been some skepticism around it. Now, really at scale, everybody could see this was working. So we have an enormous push and drive now to take this further. So we already saw the investment starting to pay off pre-crisis, but now definitely big time, there is a high high return on this. And Tommy, for you, as a, as a designer, when you look at the tools that are available and even just more broadly, how you stay agile, how you how you said stay ahead of the competition. How do you decide what is what's worth changing? I know with with fashion tech, especially, it's always been spoken of as a balance between art and science, the traditional and the innovative. What's your perspective on that, and and how do you take that into con- all of this into consideration when you're making decisions um, as a designer? Well, you have to continually look ahead without abandoning your base and without abandoning your core business. So it's really an evolutionary process where we never want to be detached from our DNA and our heritage, but to, I would say, allow the the consumer, the worldwide consumer base to continually embrace us 
we have to evolve forward, introduce new ideas, new ways of doing things, whether it's a fabric, whether it's a, a pocket, whether it's a fastening, whether it is a spec with sizing. We have to be on trend. We have to have a great fit, a great value, incredible quality, and it has to be very timely. So we have to check a lot of boxes all at once. So we're continually looking at ways to improve everything we're doing every day. Right. I'm sure that is only you know magnified on a greater scale when you take into consideration how global the brand is. Um, how, how would you say your design approach has changed as the brand has reached more people all over the world from starting out in New York? Many times, some regions desire lighter weight fabrics, brighter colors. In Asia, the sizing is slightly different. In some regions, people prefer more of a, a jean sport look versus a sportswear look. We're always adjusting to the various regions and the various countries. But overall, our look and our product range is very much connected to the original DNA of the brand with nuances that continually allow us to, as I said before, evolve the brand. Right. I'm sure that that DNA is very important to keep intact. Um, And, you know, that it just, it raises the other point that I wanted to mention in terms of thinking about how much customers and you know, their priorities have changed in terms of the way they shop and what they're buying. You you know, if there were to be a third bucket in what the pandemic has changed and brought to light, as well as the protests, you know, it's really this emphasis on fashion with values and the the brands that they buy from. Um, We've seen the fallout of the pandemic um, happening within the supply chain and and workers that are on the front lines there, as well as uh, customers calling out brands that that speak one way about diversity, but actually act a different way. Martine, do you want to talk about how how the brand has navigated this call for action for brands to not only be vocal, but actually back up, you know, their words and their sentiments with action, both on the sustainability side, I know there's a new initiative, but also um, on the diversity front. Yeah, I think I think more than ever, brand purpose and our brand purpose will be at the forefront of everything we do. It's clear that today's consumers are aligned with brands who authentically share that, share values, share purpose. So in our strategic plan for the coming years, we've put a really renewed focus and commitment to inclusivity, diversity, sustainability, as well as digitalization. So those components we feel are extremely important to bring our our brand purpose to life. And as you said, there is also an expectation from today's consumers around brands taking a stand and and showing their values and showing their purpose. So that is very very important for us. So on the inclusivity and and diversity side, I I have to be honest and I don't think we have done enough. And at the same time, we are determined to do better. So personally, I've made a personal commitment to give priority to increase our representation of female, BIPOC and minority groups in all PVH Europe and Tommy Hilfiger global leadership positions. For that, we initiated a number of, of actions. And one of them is the launch of an internal comprehensive action plan to further address discrimination, injustice, inequality and racism. And 
really through listening and learning and acting, we are working to become a better educated, more understanding and forward thinking organization. On the sustainability side, that has always been important for the brand. It has always been part of our, of our DNA. And we have like more than a decade of experience on the sustainability side. Now with the launch of the Make It Possible program, we are amplifying that and accelerating our sustainability journey uh, in all aspects of our business. I think the big difference with sustainability today is that where it used to be like a corporate program and a corporate team had to push the sustainability agenda forward, today the entire organization is embracing and embedding a more sustainable mindset. So with the launch of Make It Possible, we are publicly committing to 24 very ambitious targets, which are mainly centered around circularity and inclusivity. And those 24 targets we have grouped into four pillars. Uh, the first one we call Circle Round. And that's all about making products to be fully circular and part of a sustainable loop. The second pillar is called Made for Life. And that is all about operating with sensitivity to the planetary boundaries. Third pillar is everybody welcome, of everyone welcome, I should say. Meaning be a brand that works for every Tommy fan, always being inclusive and completely accessible. And then the last pillar is opportunity for all. A testimony to our inclusivity targets and create equal access and opportunity, no barriers to success for anybody at Tommy Hilfiger. So diversity and, and inclusivity, as, as well as sustainability, it's, it's, it's part of our values, it's part of our DNA, it's part of our purpose, and it's considered extremely important by not only our associates, but definitely also by the end consumer. How do you then hold the brand accountable over time, even as, you know, potentially the consumer side scrutiny might become a little more quiet? You know, I think it's just an important thing for fashion brands to be able to point to progress in, in a year or so. Um, how do you plan to do that going forward? We, we discussed that internally. And, and the, the most important step to hold ourselves accountable was to make those targets public. So for our sustainability launch, we've also launched a microsite which holds all information around those 24 targets uh, publicly. And we will use that platform to also show our progress towards those targets over time. So, so that was really important for us to hold ourselves accountable on this journey. Right. And and Tommy, I'd love to hear your your perspective on this as well. And just on a broader level, do you see this as being a, a turning point for the fashion industry in terms of what is going to be expected of them from, from customers, from investors, stakeholders, what have you going forward? I know that sustainability and you know inclusion, these are not new topics. It feels that there is a, a greater sense of ur urgency. And, and so do you see that sticking around? I, they're not new topics, but they're topics that are now mandatory. So if a brand is not sustainable, if a brand is not inclusive or diverse, I really believe the consumer will no longer populate that brand. And I think that the idea is to walk the walk, not just talk the talk, because a lot of people have talked about it in the past, but they've done nothing about it. We really pride ourselves on actually doing what we say we're going to do. So I really believe that the consumer will look deeply 
into the eyes of, of the corporations and find out whether or not they're in fact doing something or just talking about doing something. So I really believe that going forward, every company that expects to remain in business and expects any kind of growth will need to embrace sustainability in a very authentic, powerful way, and also become inclusive and diverse in a very real way. And not, as I said, not just talk about it. There's a lot to do, a lot of work to do. Uh, to become 100% sustainable is a big hurdle for anyone because it's almost impossible in this day and age. But to work towards becoming fully sustainable is something we're doing. And we started quite a while back. We believe we'll be there sooner and faster than others in, in our peer group. And we have been inclusive and diverse forever. For the 35 years Tommy Hilfiger has been in business and for the prior 15 years, I was developing my people's place business, which was created to be for the people. So I think that the consumer now has more of an insight as to what companies are really doing. There's a transparency that needs to happen with, with companies. And I think that the consumer today will not stand for anything other than authenticity, transparency, and inclusion and diversity, as well as sustainability. Now, putting that as mandatory and that as an absolute necessity, you also have to have the right product, the right price, the right positioning, great marketing, an incredible team. And you have to be global. So uh, those are all of the things that are needed and more, of course, to grow and be part of the conversation. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's all right speaking to what all brands are thinking of and in terms of what they need to be for today's customers. And and I think it's also marking a a, a move to be brand-led. I know a lot is, is talked about what customers demand and what customers expect, you know, but at the end of the day, it's the, the, the brands who have that power. And you mentioned, you know, Tommy Hilfiger, the brand being for the people ever since its inception. You know, can you talk about your, just your, your perspective on fashion and, and how it shaped your brand and who you designed for, the clothes you designed, the people that you've worked with, and how that fits into the broader definition of luxury? I know it's changed a lot, or at least people say it has. Um, but in terms of being an, an inclusive or accessible luxury brand, how has that played out in terms of, you know, the the brand's real ethos and an approach to its relationship with its customers? Well, I'm looking at our brand specifically and what it represents to the public. And I've always wanted to be diverse and I've always wanted to be inclusive. And we have been from the very beginning. However, I've always been obsessed with pop culture and what I call fame. Fame through fashion, art, music, entertainment, and of course, sports. So if we put all of that into a blender, what do we have? We have Tommy Hilfiger, the brand. And I think that many people think that 
they should engage in celebrity dressing because it's cool and it's the thing to do. But we were there way before most of the people in the industry. We were dressing the hip-hop crowd in the early 90s, and we were using celebrity in our advertising and, and marketing in the 80s. So um, I'm always looking at our brand and what it means to the consumer and what it means to the the fans out in the world. And I really believe that you cannot just be one thing. You have to be maybe uh, a conglomeration of things to the, the consumer groups. And you have to show up in a certain way in order to check a lot of the different boxes and, and be embraced by the audience. So I think the pop culture part of it, the addressing of celebrities and the using of celebrities in the right way when they're authentic and, and, and real is, is, is important, but it has to go way beyond that. And I think the inclusion and diversity has to be maybe at the forefront. Yeah, and I, th- I think we definitely also see how luxury has then caught up to that with the streetwear influences and partnerships there. It seems that, you know, the the entire industry has kind of blown open in a way to include a different a different customer, a different style. Um, and so, I, and I know collaborations have been a big part of the model, you know, for a long time. And just thinking back to last year's uh, collaboration with Zendaya, um, how do you then navigate, you know, who to partner with next? I know you have plans in a bit of a different form coming up for this year, but how have collaborations fit into tapping into pop culture and what that um, has brought into the brand that, you know, really works only in the collaboration setting? Well, we didn't want to just do a collaboration to do a collaboration. We wanted it to be authentic and real, and we wanted there to be meaning behind it. So in the case of Gigi, I've known Gigi for many years and her family for many years. So when we chose her, we chose her because we really believe that she was someone who was not just going to be a paid model, but someone who could be a part of our family and come in and be creative with us, bring her, her ideas herself, and really collaborate with us in, in, in a very authentic way. The same thing with Zendaya. And even the same thing with Lewis Hamilton. Whenever we've done these collaborations, we've wanted them to be authentic and real. And we wanted to actually allow the collaborator, the celebrity, to be creative and to bring us their inspiration, their ideas, and actually be a part of the design. Whereas a lot of companies, will design something and put a celebrity's face in front of the the product. We think that's not authentic and not real. And I I would say excited to step back with Gigi Zendaya and Lewis and say, okay, what, what are your ideas? How would you like to design this collection? How would you like to work with the Tommy Hilfiger DNA, but make it new and fresh and through your eyes? So that was really the catalyst behind doing the collaborations. They had to be real and authentic. And I think we had great success as a result of that because we were able to bring a new 
customer profile into the brand. When we launched the Gigi collection, the age range of the the female consumer dropped a, a number of years from the core audience we were catering to. And that's exactly what we were looking to do by bringing Gigi in at the time, because we wanted to keep the brand young and keep it fresh. At the same time, we wanted to keep the, the brand young and fresh, but a little more sophisticated with Zendaya and a little more street sporty with Lewis. So we were always looking at a goal, had a goal in mind, and wanted to reach that goal through the actual product and marketing with the collaborators. Great. That and sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, excited to see what comes next. As we get to the end here, um, I wanted to field a few predictions and just forecasts from from you both. Martine, from your end, when you take all of this into consideration, I know you mentioned everything from e-commerce to digital tools to the collaboration model and the push to direct to consumer. What do you see being, you know, the biggest representative shift of how fashion brands operate going forward um, as, you know, especially even as we're looking into 2021? Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's, that, that's a big question by itself. I, I, I think the digitalization and optimizing the fashion value chain is, is a very uh, important unlock. And at the same time, a necessary unlock. So if you look at look at the fashion value chain today, it's very inefficient. It has a lot of flaws. Um, it has a lot of opportunity to improve. So we, we are on one hand using our digital investments to optimize, but on the other end also using our sustainability agenda to, to drive change in the value chain, eliminating waste out of the value chain making it more efficient uh, and so on. So I, I think for global brands like Tommy Hilfiger and for, for other brands with us to, 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 to drive that change, to drive that positive change in the fashion value chain, drive it forward for the better. Makes sense. I, I think we'll see a lot of that. And then Tommy, looking ahead, obviously, but even looking back at the years that you've been in business, we hear so much doom and gloom talk about fashion being irrelevant, New York Fashion Week being dead. You know, what would your response to that be? And and what do you think, you know, comes next for, for fashion in general? I think a huge change. I think an enormous change will take place. I don't think that the fashion shows will be what they were ever again. I think that if we don't dramatically change the way clothes and the way uh, the shows take place, we will be making an enormous mistake. And uh, we certainly won't be caught up in that downward spiral, so to speak. We are creating and reinventing a way to show up in, in a brand new modern way. So I would rather take this year off and make sure that when we do come back, we come back with something that is breakthrough, disruptive, and dynamic. But I do think that there is a, a real change taking place. And a, I, I think that doing it the old way is going to not be an option any longer. Absolutely. Well, really interested to see where it all goes. And thank you both so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you very much. much. 
Join us next week. We'll be speaking with key fashion industry players, adjusting their roadmaps to reflect an industry in flux. You can find all our shows from this series on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Vogue Business website. As ever, for more coverage on the future of fashion, subscribe to the Vogue Business newsletter at voguebusiness.com. Our executive producer was Alan John. My name is Hilary Milnes. That was the future of fashion. Thank you for listening.